Radio Mano Papachango. Chris, this is Monique from Melbourne, down in the land of Oz. I was just listening to your second to last podcast where you mentioned that you bought some land, and I actually physically aloud said, holy shit, that's awesome. And I think upon reflecting on that moment, I had uh, an opposite realization that you've had, which is you think it's amazing that you have all these people who listen to you and who know you, but you don't know them. And I realized that I'm genuinely excited for you, a person who I don't really know, but I feel like I know because you've been in my ears for however many years you have been now. So I just want to say that I'm excited for you having bought land and um, I'm looking forward to hearing what you do next. Thank you. Hi to everybody out there. Have fun. Hi, Chris. Hey, everybody. Uh, My name's Connor. I live in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I'm just hanging out with my cat here. <laughs> I'm not that interesting, apparently. Uh, hey. Uh, so I ate some small amount of mushrooms today and went on a bike ride uh, through the city. Came home, looked at my life, looked at my brain. Um, got some new directions uh, listened to Aroma in the shower um, and just want to put forth some gratitude in the form of an audio message for you uh, <laughs> don't even worry about putting this up on the podcast Hey Chris, this is Bob from Colorado, and uh, I am a guy who's more of your age, not all your fans are in their 20s, and uh, I just wanted to say thanks for all the books and the podcast and being open about your grief with your dad and other friends that you've lost. Um, my One of my dogs died last night in front of me after he finished eating dinner. <laughs> and um, hearing you talk about it has helped. So thank you, and keep doing what you're doing. Love you, man. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Connor. Thank you, woman whose name I forget in Melbourne. I may have actually played her message before. I'm not sure about that. If so, uh, my apologies for the repeat. Um, I don't really keep track. I try to remember to delete them from the file once I've played them, but sometimes I don't. I'm coming to you from Chiang Mai, everybody. Uh, Nice to talk to you again. Nice to uh, have you hear my voice. (laughs) I can't hear yours. Um, yeah, last day in Chiang Mai, heading to Rangoon tomorrow, uh, Burma, where I have never been. Um, 
Burma had sort of a strange role in my life. I thought I was going to Burma 30 years ago when I got robbed in Barcelona and ended up spending uh, the next 20 years in Spain rather than uh, continuing on to Burma. That's another story for the uh, the Tomas, which I will get back to at some point. I swear I will. I sort of intended to do one when I was here in Chiang Mai just talking about some of the experiences I had in and around Chiang Mai uh, 30 years ago when I first came here. <clears throat> there are some pretty crazy things that happened involving motorcycles and drugs and elephants and um, eccentric British dudes, but uh, I'll get to that story soon, someday. I don't know when I'll get to it. You know, it's it's hard. It's like... Um, when your your philosophy of life is to enjoy it as much as possible it uh but your job is to report on it or talk about it or write about it um there's this sort of inherent conflict there because um you know when you're living life it's it's hard to find the time to talk about it and reflect on it and write about it because you're in the midst of it you know it's like I don't know it's hard to coach the game that you're playing in you know and uh I feel like I'm still on the field I don't know maybe someday I'll I'll get old enough that I'll want to be on the sidelines and just sort of uh observe and comment and strategize but I'm still out here running around so um, having fun and I apologize for the delays and the things I don't get to and the five years it takes me to write a book and, and all that other stuff but uh, so it goes this episode is with a guy named Michael Trainer. interesting cat I met in, in LA I uh, did his podcast and then he came up to Topanga and did mine um, he uh, is one of the founders of a thing called Global Citizen which is uh, has really taken off. It's become a big deal. It's sort of like a music festival, but you can't buy tickets. You earn tickets by doing something to help the world. That's how I understand the concept anyway. Uh, he's uh, an entrepreneur, uh, a sort of a, I don't know, a philosopher, I guess you could call him. He's a thinker. He, he He's a thinker and a doer. So he's an interesting cat, has some very... Um, thoughtful uh takes on the world and uh our place in it so i hope you enjoy this conversation with michael trainer uh, a couple things to talk about i got a really funny email from somebody uh jeff the other day he said chris i love the bonobo t-shirt every single time i wear it to a social event at least one person has come up to me saying something like fuck yeah bonobos right wink wink it's the perfect tool to signal ethical non-monogamy <laughs> it may be it may also be a good tool to signal uh just that you know something about primates you like sex you're not uh freaked out and worried about things like that so anyway jeff uh, suggests we should invent some sort of a secret handshake but i think you know in lieu of a secret handshake the uh the bonobo t-shirt is a good way to sort of signal to uh, those in the know that uh, you're part of the tribe so if you don't have your bonobo t-shirt you can get that at my website 
thatchrisryan.com. Go to the store and you'll see it there. While you're there, you can also, of course, uh, become a supporter of the podcast if you're not already. You would be most welcome. Another way of signaling your membership in the tribe. Um, in the store, they got uh, stickers and, I don't know, more T-shirts and signed copies of books and all that kind of stuff. If you become a supporter of the podcast, uh, not only do you become uh, an honorary and honored member of Tribe Bonobo, but you also have access to ebooks for free. Um, they're included in the membership. They cost five bucks each on Amazon, but you get them for free and a uh, monthly newsletter talking about what I'm doing, you know, what sort of media stuff I've done, uh, links to various interviews and videos and whatever, whatever I've been up to. Um, anyway, so I am leaving tomorrow, as I said, for a weekend or five days in Burma, <clears throat> then coming back, flying down south and going to go visit my buddy Viram on uh, the island of Kopayam. And uh, there are some people down south that uh, I might hook up with and record a podcast. I'd love to do at least one or two more with Viram. He did a motorcycle trip this past summer on his own from Italy to Kazakhstan, I think. So I'd love to uh, talk with him about that on the podcast if he's willing. Viram's a very private dude, so I don't know. He he certainly has no uh, hunger for any sort of publicity, so he may not do it. If he does it, it's just as a favor to me um, and, uh, and to you because uh, he's a fascinating guy, really has just lived a life unlike anyone else I've ever known. He's one of my closest, dearest friends. So I hope he'll agree to that. <clears throat> and there's a woman who reached out to me through Instagram, a Polish woman, I forget her name right now, but she's down there, and she rode a motorcycle alone, as I understand it, from Poland to Thailand. So uh, maybe I'll find a way to get together with her, and uh, she'll share her story as well. We'll see. Uh, anyway, I'm about to leave. When I finish recording this intro, I'm going to go... Uh, be a guest on a podcast here in Chiang Mai called uh, Tropical MBA with Dan, who I met at our get-together the other night. We had a little Chiang Mai listener get-together. It was very cool. About 15 people showed up at uh, my bar, which is a funky little bar here in Chiang Mai. And uh, it was fun. I mean, you know, 13 were men. But what are you going to do? It was a bit of a sausage fest, uh, but that's the way that's the way it works sometimes. Um, but really cool guys and uh, and two wonderful ladies. But uh, it was it was a lot of fun and met Dan and some other people there who were quite interesting. Uh, I was going to interview a guy named Kirby who came out. I met him in Boulder at one of the get-togethers, and we've become friends. He was working in Vietnam and. He flew over to spend uh, a few days here, and we did some traveling around together. And a uh, very interesting guy. I was interested in getting him on the podcast, but then he slipped on some leaves and, and wrecked a motorcycle and hurt himself. And so he was sort of um, not in the podcasting frame of mind there for a while. So, uh, you know, we'll get to we'll get to Kirby down the road a little bit. Uh, yes, getting back to the uh, question of uh, why you should support this podcast 
through my website, I forgot to mention that once a month I do a video Roma, uh, which is directly for people who are supporters, only for them, sort of an exclusive content, kind of bonus content thing. And I answer uh, at least one, often more than one question from supporters that you um, submit at the website. There's a forum where people can ask questions and I'll uh, respond to them on these video romas. I recorded one in Pi um, last month in December. Um, that was fun. So I'm going to do another one. Maybe I'll do one uh, this week from Myanmar. If there's a, like a rooftop cafe or something in the hotel, I'll, I'll record one up there. All right, that's enough self-promotion. Uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Michael Trainer. I certainly did. And I'm going to play you out with a tune called I Don't Want to Be a Billionaire. The song is by Theo Katzman. Someone, I forget who, a listener, I think, sent me a link to the song on uh, YouTube. And uh, thank you for that, because it's a great song. I really enjoy it. And fits right in with the theme of this podcast, which is all about, you know, you've got two currencies in life, right? Time and money. Experience and uh, possessions. Which way are you going to go? Money you can always get more of. Possessions, fuck um. I put all my possessions in a storage locker in Chatsworth, California, 10 by 10 storage locker. I've got, I mean, the biggest things are like my desk and my e-bikes, my mountain bikes. And uh, Oliver's got the van and my rent went from a couple thousand bucks a month to 200 bucks a month because everything's in the storage locker. So, yeah, you can do that. One can do that. That's possible. You don't need to be a billionaire to cruise around and see the world and uh, wake up when you want to wake up and go to sleep when you want to go to sleep. There are lots of ways to do it. Um, Yeah, I'd recommend checking out the uh, Tropical MBA. TMBA is, I think, the name of the podcast. I don't know when he's going to release the episode, when Dan's going to release this episode. We're going to record this afternoon. But it's very much about um, people who are independent, uh, location independent and running businesses or, you know, taking care of business from wherever they happen to be. Chiang Mai is a, a big, uh, hub of that kind of activity, these digital nomads and all that kind of stuff. So you don't necessarily have to have a podcast or, uh, write books or do it the way I'm doing it. Um, lots of people are doing it in lots of different ways. So if you're interested in that kind of life, that might be a good place for you to start investigating the possibilities. All right. I don't want to be a billionaire by Theo Katzman. And uh, let's hope we don't go to war with Iran, right? That doesn't make a lot of sense. War never makes sense. If you're in the military, um, I hope you uh, can somehow stay safe get out of that situation as quickly as you can. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your attention, and I hope things are going great for you wherever you are. I'll catch you soon. All right, Lewis. What you got? One, two, three, four.
just to walk on in The doors and windows in the ever life Because I don't have any shit to steal But just a couple comfy chairs to sit And I'm about to cook a family meal So close your eyes and cover up your ears This ain't the message that you came to hear But I can't help it if I just don't care I don't want to be a billionaire I'm tired of hearing about the IPO All of the ways that all the cash could flow It would be nice if it would trickle down To the people on the other side of town But something tells me that they probably won't Cause something tells me that they just ain't right Taking donations for the 1% Out of the pockets of the 99 So close your eyes and cover up your ears This ain't the message that you came to hear But Just don't care. I don't want to be a billionaire. No, I don't. No, I don't. I don't want to be a billionaire. I don't want to sacrifice my life. Trying to shave five seconds off a checkout line. Think of something that the whole world needs. Fast and fast food delivery. into outer space I know nothing's gonna come from this except for make a couple people pissed it ain't effective far as I can tell telling the devil he should go to hell and I don't even know who's to blame or who's been marching in the hit parade but I don't really want to sing along If a computer wrote the fucking song So close your eyes and cover up your ears This ain't the message that you came to hear But I can't help it if I just don't care I don't want to be a billionaire All right, bitches and bastards, <laughs> motherfuckers and fatherfuckers. I, you know, I briefly considered calling this podcast "What the Fuck," <laughs> like when I first started, which is I don't know, six years ago, and yeah. I'd never heard of Mark Maron. I didn't know. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say someone else might have that name. Yeah, I, I didn't know there was a, a WTF podcast already. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I love the way he starts off. You know, what have you listened to his podcast? I have not. No, oh, not yet. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Um, but he always starts off like, you know, uh, you know, hey, hey, uh, what the fuckers, what the fuck steins, what the fuck are just Did he do that with Obama as well? That would have been an interesting. I know, <laughs> I know he got the I know he got the rare in, interview with yeah. uh, pre- when he was president, President yeah, I don't Obama. Know. He might have behaved himself. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a very bold introduction. To go back and check the archives for that one. Uh, so I'm with Michael fucking Trainer right here. 
Uh, Michael fucking sounds like motherfucking. <laughs> I've got motherfucking on the mind. I've, right I've now. never been. I've never been introduced like that. But I'll, but I'll take Michael it. fucking trainer. Because uh, I'm I'm working on the motherfucker awards. Do you know about this? Did uh, we talk I about know this? Simon Simon host though. Yeah, Simon. And was Kaj there. told me about him. But I've oh I've Kaj not been exactly. Yet. That's how we know each other. Yeah, Kaj Kaj was a presenter last year. That's uh, a motherfucker trophy right there. Oh I, wow, you got you got uh, motherfucker of the year in 2018. Yeah, yeah, we gave ourselves motherfucker awards, uh, d- d- Kyle and I, just uh, so we can put it on the mantle next I to mean, my AVN award. I'm it's, not gonna lie to you. It's a, it's a, you know, you're definitely it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a shining accomplishment, and <laughs> it really does. Uh, it really does just uh, grace the, the the cabinet in, yeah. in a very lovely way. Is it a beautiful the mantelpiece? Yeah, if you will. yeah. It's a little dusty at the moment. Yeah, I've got a uh, motherfucker award, a bunch of books, the AVN award for best non sex performance, and there's like a sex uh, a vibrator in a black box there that you can't see. And you have tape and a lot of books. Tape, tape, packing tape, packing cause tape. I'm yeah, because you're moving to your next chapter. Moving on, yeah. Uh, so, Michael Trainer, we met each other through our mutual friend Kaj Larson. Kaj, and uh, at a book club of all of all things in uh, Venice, California, in, in Venice, yeah. Venice Beach, California. Um, talking about your previous book, how do you know Kaj? Kaj, I've known for years. Uh, what are I think it was through Summit Series initially, but uh, we became fast friends. He actually. When I moved, so I was in New York for a long time when I was doing Global Citizen for about eight years. And when I moved out here, I wasn't even planning to move out here. I was just, I came back, you were just talking about Mexico. I came back from Mexico. I lived in Chelsea at the time and my key stuck to my finger. And I was like, I'm done with winter. Oh, because it was so cold. It was so freaking cold. Right. Literally in the half block from uh, the 23rd subway to my house, uh, my key stuck to my finger. And I grew up in Chicago, so I'm used to cold, but I was like, what am I doing? And uh, a friend came over for a drink, and he was like, you know what? I'm leaving my place. And I was like, where is it? He said, "Uh, it's in Marina Peninsula. I was like, how close is it to the beach? He said, about 40 feet. I said, all right, I'm taking your apartment. Oh, that's Sight the place I, I Yeah, you came in where we recorded my our oh, podcast. Right. Yes, yeah. I never even saw that place before I took it. And then uh, it's so close to the beach, it's been hard to leave. But yeah, uh, but yeah and then Kaj was gracious enough to uh, to give me his uh, his second car, his like Navy SEAL uh, mobile. He had a, a beat up but amazing bulletproof uh Land Rover that I drove around when I first moved here. So, uh, very gracious human, and uh, we've had some fun adventures, as I'm sure you have. He's he's an interesting cat. He's going to be doing my friend Anya's uh, Anya Katz's podcast soon. Uh, oh, really? We were just talking about this this morning. Yeah, uh, and her podcast is it's called A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. Uh, she I've spoken about it quite a bit on this one. Um, and she is a lot of what she talks about involves gender and like tension between the sexes and and questions of masculinity and femininity and all these sorts of energies and how they flow and change and all that and i i'm really looking forward to their conversation because Kaj intrigues me. Kaj, by the way, has been on this podcast. So if you want to know who we're talking about, check the archives. Kaj, K-A-J, Larson. Um, he's he's an intriguing character. He's perplexing because he's a Navy SEAL. He's yeah. like one of the most badass dudes you're ever going to meet. Like 
every kind of macho masculine achievement you know like he's at the top of that mountain he's super ripped and he does all this endurance training and yeah. he's waterboarded on television and you know he's like indisputably one of the most badass dudes around and yet he's totally sweet and kind and vulnerable and yeah unassuming like and he'll rock like the pink tidy uh you yeah, know shorts totally at burning man chill. in a heartbeat yeah <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah he's like he doesn't have a brittle sense of masculinity or you know it's so i'm really interested in, like how does how does that happen yeah it's fascinating right because i feel like it, it in a way well it's it, there's there's a forced change on one hand right because you've got um integration of the military in, in a variety of different ways but it's it's interesting to me. My father served in the in the military. My grandfather uh, was a captain. Shut down mm. bases after World War II. I have had I, I think the real privilege because I'm I'm very grateful for those who have uh, you know been willing to sacrifice themselves for for all of our uh, benefits. Um, but that said, it is interesting to think about like that stoic like that stoic form of masculinity. You know, right. like unfeeling, unfeeling, and killer be bulletproof killed. exactly. Yeah. And I think it's kind of I think it's a false masculinity what uh what's interesting to me is like when you look at other warrior societies um uh and again not to you know not in the pair you know not in this like one's right or wrong paradigm but more you know like a lot of the native american kind of code of conduct as it relates to warriors um as far as i can understand based on my reading and research is really of a servant right you know like the notion of the warrior which was in in many ways a a strong very strong masculine it was a a you know it's the good it's a good day to die adage you know okay yeah yeah exactly um but so it was not in in any way a lack of courage but born out of i think a process of individuation which i think many men like i i i studied rituals in sri lanka for two years and have had the good fortune to sit in some pretty rarefied rooms with indigenous cultures which we spoke a little bit about on on our podcast together in terms of traditional hunter gatherers. remind societies. us uh, the name of your podcast uh my name uh, podcast is called peak mind with michael trainer peak mind yes right. and uh, i was on just recently so. yeah and it's been crushing man my audience has been loving our, our conversation and and I loved it. So thank you. But, but, but in essence, you know, I think what was for me, what was interesting is like seeing, like I was in South Africa, you know, Nelson Mandel was traditionally, traditionally tribally a Kosa. And I was in a village where there were like the 12, 13 year old men who were, yeah, the, I can't do the click, but yeah, exactly. Uh, who were covered in white and had been, you know, together for a month and were about to go through a very intense process of individuation to demarcate, the journey from boyhood to manhood. And what mm. I think what's interesting, and I just actually had this conversation this week uh, on a podcast I'm about to release with a guy who wrote a book called To Be a Man, Robert Augustus Masters, that I thought was phenomenal. And I did some deep uh, mm. men's work with him. I think I've heard of him. He's fucking great, man. He's like, he's 72 years old. He's an OG. He's like, I, you know, I have, speaking of seals, actually, I have, you know, sort of, you know, obviously there's folks and you've had them as well, like that are that are larger known figures. But then I've got like what I call the SEAL Team Six, which I have in, in the context of like doctors and healers and so on that I'll that I'll sort of tap into if I need that are below the radar. And he's that he's he's written like 14 books. So it's not like he's like secretive, but he's not you know, he, he didn't he didn't ever hit the sort of common, you know, right. you know, parlance, if you will, or whatever, whatever he didn't he didn't he didn't break through in that way. Oprah. He's exactly exactly. He never made it to Oprah, but he does like some of the best work I've ever seen with men. 
it's kind of a combination of like physical, physiological, spiritual, psychological, but not in a woo-woo sense, but mm. also embracing, you know, like a softness. So sort of bring it full circle. What what I what we spoke about and what I'm interested in, and I think brings it back to your point, is I think that we lack a process of individuation. And for so many men in so many generations, the military was that process of individuation. Right. And so like PTSD, like which is now prolific and is so many, so much fascinating research, for example, around like psychedelics and, and bringing men back into balance after they come back from combat. And much of that PTSD is, of course, combat related. But a lot of it's actually that that lack of that brotherhood, that, right. that, that sense of, of individuation in confronting your purpose by confronting death. Right. And then how do you come back and work at fucking Walmart afterwards? You know, like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know how you could do that. And it's interesting. You, you, you point out the individuation, which is of course a, an important aspect of what's happening, but uh, simultaneously in, in a sort of a yin yang sense, it's also a process of, uh, of establishing a group identity, mm-hmm. right? Like totally. you're part of a team. You're part of the the society. You're an important contributor to the society as a warrior because, as you say, it's it's based on sacrifice yep. and and uh, sharing and generosity and all these kinds of uh, principles that seem to run against the kind of individuation that we think of in America, which is fuck y'all looking out for number one, you know, all that. It's not what you're talking about. You're in my understanding, you're talking about you become yourself in order to properly join a larger whole. 100% yourself individuated is an, is a, is in service. It's, it's about acknowledging the beyondness that which is beyond the, ego the individual so right, to speak right? right that's what was tri- that's what was tribal society tribal society only works and you talk about this beautifully in your book you know i mean like with that, in that context for example the arrow right and the arrow and the and the hunter you know and like the hunt the, the it's not you don't like you don't celebrate the hunter who who necessarily killed the, oh, the buffalo right, right. but it's but it's like you know the arrow actually came from the guy who was back at camp and everyone right. kind of takes the piss a little bit to keep make sure that ego stays in check and yeah. actually it's an exaltation of the the moreness which is the tribe which is that which is beyond all of us and your act in service right right? so to me and that was interesting in sri lanka there was no word for privacy and there was no word for possession Hmm. so there it wasn't about it wasn't about this which we see quite prolific obviously in the u.s and many western societies this you know, uh, man on the hill, individual, like, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get mine no matter what, you know, I which did I did it my way. way. Exactly. <laughs> which, which we exalt, but at the same time, we see this epidemic of loneliness and the diseases, which, which come from it and addictions, etc. But I think ultimately we're still wired in the, in that OG sense, right? Yeah. Which is tribal, which is communal, which is wanting to connect to something bigger than ourselves. Right. And largely that's about relationship. It gets co-opted. You know, to me, this is like one of the deepest tragedies of the modern era that so many of the, how can I articulate this? It's like so many of the mistakes, so many of the, of the, 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 the horrors of the modern world are a result of the, the sort of cynical co-opting of something that's actually very deeply beautiful and humane in our species. Mm. So, for example, you're talking about having this innate need to connect to something greater, to, yeah. to, to serve, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you see that get co-opted in 
fucking street gangs mm-hmm. in you know various cults in fucked up bullshit religions which are basically just cults on a larger scale in my opinion <laughs> um you know and even you know with respect to to veterans and so on i, I see it co-opted in the military as mm-hmm. well right like we were camp we were in colorado this summer and met this young dude who uh was living out in the countryside and whatever he's like 19 and i was talking to him sweet guy really nice guy and uh in his plan was he wanted to be an army ranger mm-hmm. i said why what like what's up like why do you want to go kill people in countries you've never heard of dude and he's like well i want to be part of a team Mm. you know and you could see the guy had grown up in the middle of nowhere he was bored he was tired he you know he was alone he wanted to be part of a team and he wanted to go out and see the world and like that's all great that's beautiful and when when the team was your buddies taking care of your village or your tribe or, you know, going and hunting together and bringing back the meat and sharing it with the old people who are too old to hunt and the pregnant women who can't go out and get their own. Like, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that's what makes us humans. But to see it, you know, I think about like, you know, here we are in America. We're at this, uh, we're at a pivotal moment. Shit could get really bad really quickly. Oh, yeah. And, you know, part of me thinks like, Cops would never do that. Cops would never. I mean, I know cops. They're good guys. They're they're decent people. If if the president's like, okay, this is a fucking fascist dictatorship now. Let's round up the, the you know whatever the Mexicans and the, the whoever it is that we're gonna round up. Part of me thinks like, no, they wouldn't do it. But the problem is, they always do it. They always do it because the good ones quit and the other ones do it, and they're doing it. In the same way that dogs do what their masters tell them. I don't blame the dog, you know? And I don't, I, please, any police listening to this, I'm not saying police are dogs, but there's, you learn to follow orders. That's what makes you a good cop or a good soldier. You do what you're told. You trust that whoever's making those decisions has information you don't. And they've got your best interest at heart or the best interest of the country or whatever. The problem is in that kind of a system, not everyone can be a critical thinker. Mm -hmm. And so you end up, you know, like I see these these dogs in those Nazi movies, the German shepherds like, you know, jumping and barking Mm. at the Jews. They're cowering in the trains and and it's like. Fuck, fucking dog. But that's just a dog doing what dogs do. The dog mm. probably thinks like, hey, my master wants me to like do this. So I'm doing it. I'm protecting the guy I love, whatever. It. My point is that there was an interview with Sebastian Junger. Mm. You know the right? Yeah, I love his tribe. tribe amazing book. book. Yeah. So I think he was promoting that book. And, and I remember in this interview, I think it might have been Bill Maher, said to him like, you know, he'd been embedded with the Marines in the Korengal Valley and at this, you know, for a year and all this mm. shit going down. And he said, uh, he's like, why do these guys do this? Right? Like, they don't know anything about international trade routes or, you know, strategic access to oil in the Western China, or like whatever the right. fuck it is. Like, <laughs> right. why do they do it? They're getting paid shit money. You know, half of them are getting blown up. And I remember Younger said they do it for love. Yeah. They do it because they love each other. Yeah. Because they're taking care of each other. Because they've got their brother's back. That's it. And what breaks my fucking heart is like, that's why the other guys are doing it too. Oh, totally. 
So here, if they we, happen to be born geographically in a different area, they'd be on the other side. So here we are taking the best thing about human beings, which is our love for each other and our deep capacity to like empathize and take care of one another. And you know, brother, I got your back. You got yep. mine. Like we're taking this beautiful fucking thing. And we're using it to leverage people into doing horrible things. Yeah, no question. I mean, it's it's fascinating because on the way up here, um, I was listening to yet another tragic, you know, 16-year-old today in California who went in and gone down for kids in high school. And, you know, I I don't really know what to say about that. You know, my my heart goes out to, to those surviving. And, and it brings it back, I think, to this notion of like, what is it in people? And to me, that comes from, I can't speak to that exact situation, but I think there's a deep yearning and a deep loneliness of people wanting that brotherhood, of wanting right. to be seen. Right. And what I think the military, as it distilled down, and as I've been in the listening around it, it's like that no one gets left behind, right? I think a lot of this mm. epidemic of these like estranged you know, shooters is they're, they're, they're oftentimes ostracized, left behind, you yeah. know, like they're the kids who like aren't being paid attention to teased or bullied. And they're, and, and the thing with the military is, and I'm not in any way, you know, I'm not saying one way or the other, good or bad. It's just this ethos of like, even if you're killed, we're going to go back for your body, right? right? Like no right. one gets left behind. Yeah. And unfortunately in civilian life, Every, a lot of people feel like they've gotten left behind, right? Yeah. Like a lot of people just feel like, hey, man, you know, like w- what about the promise, you know? And, and right. I think that, you know, on the dark side of our culture, right, in society, it's like most of our systems grew out of 20th century industrial capitalism, which right. was which is exploitative in, in essence in nature, right? Like first grade, second grade, third grade. It's like, and that's not to like vilify the entire education system, but it existed so that you would kind of become a cog in the wheel. I mean, my right. dad, my, my grandfather was an officer, but my dad enlisted. Uh, and, you know, he was, you know, super smart guy, a bit of a rebel, got kicked out of, out of college for playing bridge too much. But like enlisted in the military (laughs) yeah he was a killer bridge player (laughs) evidently a lot of people owed him money uh that he that he forgave in terms of loans but yeah he was uh he was a big bridge player uh probably too smart for his own good but he enlisted and he said the challenging part about the military but the way it works is they just break you down right they break you down so you're not doing any critical independent thinking you have to become a cog that's the point that's the point but the the thing that everyone loves the reason they do it the reason why i would guess this 19 year old you're talking to is about it is there's very few other parts in our society and places aside from potentially maybe team sports which most people can't play beyond high school uh where you feel a part of that team that that camaraderie that for lack of a better term tribal essence that that we've lost in our culture yeah 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 And, and and the things that uh where it's available are generally um pernicious they're 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 toxic yeah you know or or just totally meaningless like yeah. i'm a i'm a packers fan you know like, <laughs> I got, my car is painted green and gold i wear the packers, I got packers, this packers. Like, you can make fun of packers fans all you want to because i grew up as a with the bears with my dad <laughs> yeah. but but it is interesting right the bears, it right? could have been the Bears. it's a total construct it's just like bullshit i yeah. mean even the players don't take it that seriously totally you know? it's like you get a better contract in oakland i'm a raider <laughs> exactly but it's just so uh again it's this it's taking something beautiful and channeling it into bullshit it's it's man i don't know i was born in the wrong place i think well I but know. i mean there are so so i would say but there are 
interesting aspects, right, of because uh, I think about that, right? We're, we are in this, not to go far out there, but like, why, why are we born at this particular time? And yes, the, like you said, like we're on the precipice and real talk of some, I mean, we're amidst a mass extinction, right? Like we're in the sixth grade extinction species level. Yeah. You know, every scientist you talk to says we got maybe 10, 10 years to turn the ship around and it ain't looking good, right? Yeah. It's my belief, I'm going to get out there for a minute. I think we talked a little bit about this. There's a guy I love named Brian Swim. And, you know, granted, this may come from a, from my essence, which is optimistic and which may be, which is maybe ignorant, but optimistic. But he talks about this notion of with any great challenge, there is a commensurate opportunity for a birth in consciousness. Mm. So, so like just as the sun and mm. the, and the, and the way that the planets are formed have, pro- have provided us with a very unique bandwidth in which life as we know it has flourished on our planet because of that gravitation that gravitational dynamic tension right within the context of universes within the context of a multitude of universes like we're we exist in such an infinitesimally you know miraculous band that has allowed life to flourish as as it has and you know to take that down to the micro it's like the hawk he uses the analogy of the hawk and the rabbit it's like both the hawk and the rabbit are existentially and physiologically what they are because of the dynamic predator prey relationship right Right. that tension in their existence which keeps them on their toes now i may be full of shit but it's my belief that with the tensions of all the bullshit for example that you justifiably much of which you bring up all all the all that we're seeing which is sort of pushing us into this sort of existential quagmire and quandary i think i believe that there's also a commensurate opportunity for a birth in consciousness and the antidote if you will to that behavior coming into fruition if enough of us uh tune into it so to speak now i don't have any scientific evidence to back that up so it's my particular belief could be right could be wrong uh but i think it's intriguing precedents for that well i think there's many right i mean i I think on a micro level right like how many times i mean we've all watched the hollywood movies right um and you know much of that is obviously mythology but like i just read an article this year of like a, 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 a i think it was a russian sub nuclear sub that was on the verge of uh blowing up now i don't know i wasn't on that sub i don't know uh, i don't know refused the order yes yeah, someone refused the right, order and right. they saved who knows how many of those things have happened right? right where we're on the verge that's we're talking about nuclear you talk about a nuclear sub going off like i i don't know what the fallout of that is but but i can only imagine that there have been a multitude of instances in which uh in which we have had potential for a very large-scale collapse that's been abated. One I can definitely point to uh, is I just rewatched Invictus, which is interesting because it's around sports, but you know, talking about the legacy of Nelson Mandela. Now, in all, for all ostents and purposes, and I think if I, were, if I had gone to prison for 27 years and weren't even allowed to see my son buried because you know, I was, grew up in apartheid and you know, I was repressed and made to like turn big rocks into small rocks in a very small cell for 27 years. I don't think I would have walked out as forgiving, for example, as Nelson Mandela did. But what was interesting is in rewatching that this week, it's like, wow, that 
that that's on a country level scale, obviously, which turned into a global scale. But here you have like apartheid, like that, that was definitely not looking good for, for most South Africans, you know, like most of the world had turned their back on South Africa sanctions, you know, like they were pretty much fucked, you know, and and the country was on the verge of killing. I mean, basically being amidst, you know, it was ostensibly a civil war. And here's one person who came out and then, sort of tune back in people to the possibility of their shared humanity mm. in a very dynamic and a very edgy way. Like to have cho- like chosen, for example, for that rugby, which they ha- happen to have that, that World Cup match in South Africa, to know that actually turning those colors away, which for, for many of the South Africans was a symbol of absolute oppression, but to say, no, let's keep those. Because if we estrange we estranged the whites, then we're doing, even though that's kind of what had happened, that not kind of, it's exactly what had happened to us, we're going to lose ourselves. So to, to, to sort of rise up into a different notion of what is possible, both individually and collectively, and to see that take the shape of, of a nation state that actually stabilized and, and, and inspired, I would argue, beyond its boundaries, I think that's you know, maybe not a perfect example, but it's it's what comes up for me in terms of it's like here, yeah. here's an interesting possibility of like yeah. you know an individual channeling consciousness in a, in a more proactive way. I've often thought on a cultural level that there seems to be a correlation between uh, great suffering and great creativity. Mm. Um, you know, for example, uh, a lot of the my favorite music hmm. still comes from 1965 to 1972 <laughs> yeah, in the United States. 100%. Right, which was a time of great suffering. The Vietnam War was raging, people mm-hmm. blood in the streets, blowing shit up. Yeah. You know, riots at the Democratic National Convention. I mean, it the shit was hitting the fan nonstop all over the place. Assassinations, Martin Luther King, Robert Kennedy, it was just like boom Vietnam. boom all the time, everything going nuts. Yep. And the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix, Hendrix. were fucking killing it, yep. you know? They were doing stuff that like would not have been possible in a more stabilized Totally. Calm environment, you know, and that a lot of the anger and desperation found uh, it was articulated through beautiful artistic creativity and people saying, fuck what's normal. I'm doing this. Yes. Right? My brother's dying in Vietnam. I'm going to take a risk yep. in whatever in architecture and filmmaking and, you know, design, whatever it is that you're doing. It seemed like there was sort of a tearing apart of following the rules and and uh you know people say i i hate hearing this shit when people say to me like oh you know we tried that in the 60s and you know that we know that didn't work <laughs> you know the 60s were a big failure i'm like have you ever heard of like fucking civil rights yeah women's rights yeah. the environmental yeah. movement totally you know animal rights have you ever heard of any of these things because that's when most of them started or at least got you know massive expression uh, it, the 60s weren't a failure at all. The no. 60s were, I think this, you know, following up on your thought with the, uh, what was the word you used? The, 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 not consequent, the, 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 uh, there being like a, in a great of, of a time of great challenge, there's a, an opportunity. Oh, uh, comm- like a commensurate, commensurate, yeah. commensurate. That's a great word. Um, yeah, that there's, uh, I think that the, the 60s were, essentially like a first draft of what's 
about mm. to happen now. I love that. I hope. I hope so, I too. Hope. And, and we saw the mistakes that people made. People are going back to the land now. Yeah. People are saying, no, I want to live. I want to recreate a more tribal existence for me and my friends and my kids and their kids. And we want to take care of each other when we get old. We want to grow our own food, permaculture, yeah. alternative architecture, passive energy, you know, like uh, different relationship structuring and people being open to, you know, loving more than one person at a time. And uh, all this stuff stuff is like like the wave of the 60s that great hunter s thompson thing where the wave crested like sort of at the rocky mountains and Uh then rolled back i feel like now this is another wave and it's a stronger wave and and the first wave cleared a path so the second wave is going to have an easier time and go further you know yes i hope i hope so too man and i think one of the things you 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 talk talk about which deeply resonates with me is just the power of music and the power of story and i know as we think about like tribal societies and that was actually one of the big things when we thought about the formation of global citizen festival uh which for those who don't know it's a music festival that that uh that we started to around ending extreme poverty basically the essence of it was to how do we how do we move away from the bullshit what i would call the bullshit narrative of you know the sally struthers poor child distended belly where you know give up your cup of coffee and not say that's bad but it's like you know we're gonna we're gonna show you some pictures and make you feel guilty and you know maybe you'll take action but it's not gonna make you feel like oh that's my brother you know right. that's like you don't you don't f- feel that so long and short of it is we started a music festival where you had to take action to earn your ticket and it's grown quite significantly and 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 we just uh, it was just announced although i left working on a full time that we're going to do like a n- new live aid but for, for for me in the in the initial like architecture of like why do we do this it, a lot of it was like based on that tr- in sri lanka so much of the ritual so in, in sri lanka if, if someone falls out of balance it's the role of the entire community to bring them back in hmm. and what how is that done it's done by sharing their their, their shared worldview their cosmological worldview tribally from sunset to sunrise through ecstatic experience largely through music and to sort of use that music to bring back the collective balance but it also for lack of a better analogy tunes the person back into the collective song you know Mm -hmm. and what you're what you're saying about the 60s i think really resonates with me because basically what you saw was you saw resistance revolt and revolution and and the birthing of new movements and momentum off the back end of song. Uh, and it's music to me is like so powerful because and and the spreading of music and just like I won't, I won't go too far. Well, I guess we could because it is tangentially speaking. Do but it. like <laughs> do it. No, I mean I just think you think if you think about how music has also opened people up, you yeah. know, like in terms of, you know, the movement, like what did jazz do and rock and roll and just like, you know, how did suburban white kids get tuned in to, you know, yeah. p- perhaps first through Elvis Presley, but then like, you know, you know, like through, through, a, you know, then into like deeper, for, you know, you know, all the rock and roll artists we know, right? Like the Beatles who actually were, I just saw a fascinating documentary you got to watch uh, about Laurel Canyon and, and Los Angeles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Jacob Jackson Dylan. Brown, Jacob yeah, yeah, exactly. I just it like three nights ago. Yeah, it's wild. So they, it that's really what you're good. talking about, right? Yeah. There's a little section, right? And yeah. we hear we're in Topanga, you know, Neil Young. I mean, I could go into all the Marvin history, but Gay. exactly yeah. how these little ecosystems, if you will, a human form of permaculture, right? These, mm. these like dudes just coming over to your living room like i am here right now cross-pollinating each other and the way that that then influences culture (laughs) it wasn't part of the plan i have to change my (laughs) pants 
but the cross pollination musically, it's yeah. like, man, that gestated some of the best anthems of our time. Yeah. And and it's wild to me as I look around at having started a music festival, but also like love it or hate it look at things like coachella or or other of these places it's where people the young people are still looking for that ecstatic experience that shared sort of almost tribal ecstasies in which they can move beyond that sense of ego and i my hope is that we can channel that on a global level to 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 right the ship you know so to speak so how do you you were one of the founders of Global Citizen. Yeah, we launched launched it with uh, with a, with a tiny team back in 2011. Right. Yeah, right. So, how do you you uh, you mentioned a summit series? I guess are you a burner? You're. I'm a burner. You're yeah, a burner. Yeah. Um, so all these you know these large scale, um, sort of uh, alternative institutions. I, I don't know, for lack of a better word. How do, how do you personally avoid falling into the, the ego trap that mm. comes with these large-scale things? Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a lot of money. There's a lot of famous people. You guys are booking big acts for Global Citizen, I'm yep. sure, which motivates people to do their thing, to get the yep. ticket and so on. So it's a necessary part of it. I, I mean, I have a problem with these things, and, and I don't – I think it's – it's a problem that I personally have. I, I don't know how to resolve it. Like Summit, those guys invited me to come talk a bunch of times, right? Sure. Now, they're inviting me to come talk. This was a time in my life where I was making pretty good money doing speaking engagements, yep. right? Sex yep. at Dawn was killing. Uh, I was getting 10, 15 grand to do a talk, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. They invite me to go talk and they're like, oh, no, we don't pay. It's We have a policy. We don't pay anyone. Like, uh, all right, you don't pay anyone. Uh, and you want me to pay my own ticket to get there. Why am I doing this? So right. I can hang out with rich people. Like <laughs> I, I can hang out with the rich people for free. Yeah. You know, sure. like, I, I don't really understand. Finally, they kept asking me, kept asking me. So I, I agreed to do this thing in Miami. I was going to be in Florida anyway. It was on a cruise ship. Yes. And there's this whole thing where they stop at an Island and they have, you know, whatever big, beautiful meal. And all. anyway, I get on this thing and I, I agreed to do it because friends of mine were there. Like Wim Hof was on it yeah. and um, uh, Esther Perel, yep. you know, people I she's know a, and, she's and like there, hanging yeah. out with. Yeah. She's, she's been there a lot. Um, but not to bad mouth anyone, but we get on this fucking cruise ship. We leave Miami. And it was the night Trump was elected. It was the first night of this experience. So that might've tainted my experience as well. But we got on this tr- cruise ship. We're cruising around and all the people are giving all these talks about how their app is going to save the world and this is going to you know this business thing is going to do that and everybody's a hustler and everybody's got the answers and it's like a ted thing and meanwhile we're cruising around on a fucking giant ship yeah pumping carbon into the atmosphere yep. pumping shit into the ocean destroying coral killing fish we didn't even stop at that fucking island because apparently there'd been a storm the year before and it fucked things up so the ship just went in a big circle for three or four days or whatever it was comes back to miami yeah and that's it and i'm like what the fuck is the point of this mm. really other than making a bunch of people feel good about themselves and making money. So it's like, how do you... I felt the same thing about Burning Man. I went mm-hmm. to Burning Man. It's like, oh, it's a gift economy. Oh, uh. this, this is a huge expenditure of energy 
literally for nothing. It just mm. goes up in the air. And I know that's part of the ethos of it. But what if you took all that fucking energy, all that money, all that creativity, and you rehabilitated 10 square blocks of Detroit mm. every year? Mm. Or Cleveland or New Orleans or, you you know, there's so many things that we could do. And I, I think Global Citizen sounds like one of these things that's addr- trying to address that, trying yeah. to actually have a lasting impact rather than just this sort of ritualistic exercise in making us feel that we're somehow exalted or somehow like... I don't know. I, I got a real... The whole Burning Man thing, I just felt like I, I don't see the point of mm. this. Yeah, I'll speak to it briefly. I mean, I, this Summit and Burning Man, I can't speak to as well because I'm not on the organizing side or wasn't on the organizing side. But I, I, I hear what you're saying in terms of how do you weigh up the consequence of the externalities, if you will, the expenditures, right. which we oftentimes don't think about, right? right? Like, you know, like what goes into bringing that into life right with global citizen i can say that you know we did think about that quite a lot and you know that's we hosted it i think the blend is so it's a bit of a catch-22 right because you can't unfortunately it's hard to galvanize so many people to take action on a particular cause unless you can band them together in some type of a collective experience so that's why with Global Citizen, we said, you know, I'm not going to charge you for a ticket, right? Like, which is part of, I think, the critique, which is a fair critique, because some of these experiences are quite expensive yeah. and have high externalities. Right. Um, with Global Citizen, it's like you actually earn your ticket. So it's much more egalitarian. It's in, it's on, it's in Central Park on the Great Lawn. So most people are taking public transportation to get there. Right. And it's a one-day experience, and all the artists have donated their time to be there. Right. The benefit is we can channel the audience of all the artists to drive the people taking action. So would we have gotten them to take action if we just said, hey, we want to build a movement to end extreme poverty? Right. Frankly, without the Beyonce's of the world, it would have been a lot tougher to get right. enough of a critical mass. And so I think it's about finding the levers that are still in society right it like, sounds like you you also one of the real clever things is it sounds like you've pulled money out of the equation somehow yeah well we don't charge people for tickets but yet and but here's where it is interesting we we're not paying the acts well we cover their we cover their back end so they're, sure. not, they're not out of pocket for right. coming over and right, it's, right. you know if they come out of town right so so we cover their back end but yeah no absolutely like they donate their time we don't charge uh, everyday people for tickets. They That's earn them for free brilliant. based on taking action. Right. And it's a gamification of social impact. So you feel right. a part of something because you didn't also you're not just winning a free ticket you don't you don't care about. Yeah. You actually had to earn, you had to t- learn about the issue. You take you, you take actions. Those actions are points and then based on that you enter a lottery and then you can earn your ticket to the festival. And then here's the cool part, we then leverage your action even though we didn't ask for your money. We leverage your action to get world's leaders to make good decisions on behalf of the world's poor, which is a lot easier when you have three, 10 million people in their constituency and they happen to be uh, up for (laughs) re-election. Exactly. And you could say, hey, these people care about that. We've got, you know, I'm just making this up, you know, 500,000 tweets about this issue and provide them with a stage in which if they are willing to make a $500 million commitment for education uh, on the African continent, again, just using that as a, as, right. a, as an example, then they, then they will be provided with that platform in, in between sets of, you know, just making this up again, like Alicia Keys and Beyonce both, both performed. So, so that's a hypothetical example, but it's been used in real measure. And, you know, 
I'm sure there are people that would also potentially critique that, and everyone's uh, welcome to their opinion. But I think it's the the idea is how do you create ideally an experience that's accessible to anyone using the sort of levers of our time, but to create something that's wholly new um, and where people feel a part of something bigger than themselves. Hmm. And then ideally channel those who have, who are maybe, you know, have a little bit more leverage on a global scale to make some of the key decisions we need for all of our collective good, right? Right. Because someone's still got to make some very, very big decisions about like some of the things you mentioned, right? Like our oceans are in, are in dire straits, you know, global fisheries could collapse by 2050, you know, um, you know, you, you name it, you name the issue, right? UN calls it the sustainable development goals, but you know, with global citizen, it's like, how do we get to 2030, which is the agreed upon pathway where ideally when we started, there were 1.3 billion people living on a dollar 25 or its equivalent around the world. How do we at least move, you know, at least how do we move those 1.3 people out of extreme poverty? Because for me, at least, and this is why I was passionate about it, having lived in Sri Lanka and been in places like India where, you know, Yes, you'll see some of the most profound wealth of your life, but you'll also every street corner be besieged by those who have n- absolutely nothing yeah. in in a way that's, I think, for anyone who ha- who is human is is devastating to to witness. To at least hopefully give those people a better shot at the game, you know, and at living and at life. And I think the, you know the analogy I would use, which is perhaps not the best you know analogy, is I think about like. Everyone should at least have a shot, have an opportunity. And I think about Bill, the sort of Malcolm Gladwell, you know, where, where they say, you know, expertise is based on sort of 10,000 hours. And I'm like, you know, could we agree that Bill Gates is a genius? I think he's a genius. Uh, I'm not, I don't think he's like the only genius, but I, I, even if he's one in a million, let's say he's one in a million, which I doubt he is, but let's say he's one in a million. He also had access to a tool, the supercomputer, and he had 10,000 hours on that tool before you know he was in his early 20s right but what right time right place right time right place opportunity access and so to me it's like what what did that lead to well that couple genius with opportunity and all everyone's the operating system (laughs) that's a fair enough point but 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 he did change personal computers which changed everyone's life and he also created the gates foundation which say what you will you know definitely has more resources than most small nations and has done some very powerful work around the world that i that i'm that i'm uh largely a fan of and i so i think about okay if you take 1.3 billion people even if bill gates is one in a million that's 1300 other bill gateses that all of our lives are deprived of why because they don't have access to the same opportunities that we have you know so my my hope is you know yeah but hitler was a genius too man well that's a fair point there are definitely <laughs> there are definitely geniuses well and and that that's the challenge right there are very very smart I, mean, I don't know that Hitler was a genius, but he let's <laughs> let, let, let's let's indulge the fact that like potentially he was. He got shit done. Well, genius <laughs> and getting shit done, I would t- are different things in my in my view. Yeah, he was he was a. What I will say is, uh, and I give him no uh, this. None of this is in any way giving him credit for anything because to me he's a scourge uh, on humanity. Um, but. Uh, when they break it down, you know what, and this is what's interesting because you go, you you spoke of this, I think, a bit earlier, right? To me, what's more interesting is less Hitler, um, who I'm going to give no lip service, but more how did a whole country not overthrow Hitler, right? right? Like how did a yeah. whole, and th- this is, I think, the point you were making early, right? Earlier, which is like, you know, and I, I forget the exact quote, but it's like, you know, they came for the 
Jews, you know, right. everyone knows it. That most people, yeah, then the gypsies and the gays and nothing. And, yeah. and so, I think that's yeah. the. I think that's to to sort of turn this a little bit on its head. I think that's the piece, right? Like we're amidst that right now, right? Yeah. Like shit's going down. Seventy thousand children in detention and ICE centers. Exactly, and and many of them, hundred thousands of them now being reportedly sexually abused. It's like, it's like the some of the horrific shit that we saw in the forties as a result of Hitler uh, around, uh, you know, across Europe is now happening today in various parts of the world. I mean, slavery, by the way, right, which is a mm. scourge of humanity, right? I mean the. I don't think I can think of anything worse is actually in epidemic proportions right now. It's just hidden from plain sight, you know, right. but like it's, 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 there, there's a huge number of slaves around the world. So I think there is a great, I, I don't, I don't know exactly where there was not necessarily a, a cogent point. You just got me, I got, I got, I got, I got wound up for a second, yeah, but, yeah, uh, but, but is to say yeah. like, I, I think that there's some profound for lack of a better term, bullshit in the world without question. Yeah. And you can tune into to make to use the music analogy. You can turn into some bullshit music, and I will. That's what they. What some people do say is the oratory of of that of people were hypnotized. They say by the by the speech, so to speak, so to so to speak. Um, and I do think you know what what are we getting hypnotized by? Because there's so many signals now. There's so much so much noise out there. And my hope is that. That we don't get we don't get hypnotized and subdued, you know, in that Caesar sense of like give them entertainment and mm. uh, and wine and there'll be Red no revolution, yeah. exactly. But but actually, like, how do we listen to like how do we listen to that revolutionary tune to bring it back to the '60s? You know, the 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 you know the cats that were that were calling for a new vision for society and hopefully focus our antennas on that on that so we're so we move beyond the the bullshit noise to a true signal right right i hear you man i i mean that's you know to whatever small extent i can contribute to that that's why i wrote civilized to death yeah because i feel like uh, we're going in the wrong direction and people are hypnotized by things i mean you know we can go back to bill gates i think he certainly changed the world, but I don't know that he changed it for the better. I think it's. A, I mean, one can make the argument. I I would personally say, on measure, he he likely did, but I think he does have a techno which he acknowledged. I mean, I actually just watched the miniseries on him. He definitely has a bias towards technology, sure. and it gets freaking nuanced right like yeah. case in point like he's pro monsanto and in certain parts based on climate change he's actually thinking of things i think that are very important which is there's gonna be large swaths of the world that aren't gonna be able to grow crops that have existed throughout their entire prehistory in the sense of civilized right. for death right. because those those seeds won't be able to thrive in that soil because it'll be 10 degrees warmer right so do you use genetically modified seeds well if it means someone's starving or not, I'd say probably yes. At the same time, Monsanto's a scourge, uh, yeah. pardon me, a scourge to a large degree of humanity in terms of glyphosate. Any one of us, you or I both, yeah. which I just did, actually just dropped off a vial of urine on my way here oh, to really? test myself for glyphosate yeah. because all of us have been poisoned by, by yeah. pesticides that yeah. are fucking crushing uh, the well, planet. See, but see, that's that's the technological trick. It, it Every time... The promise is, oh, we'll, we'll use technology to solve this problem without mm. acknowledging that when we do solve that problem, if we solve the problem, it'll be a partial solution mm. and it'll come at the cost of having created three more problems mm. that then need to be solved. So it's this never-ending, ratcheting, addictive process. 
And you're right. And you used the perfect example. You said, well, if it's at the cost of someone starving, that's how civilization started. That the whole thing started because the rain ceased and somebody figured out they could build a trench from the river to the trees and save the trees and we wouldn't have to starve. It was a great fucking idea. <laughs> but but <yeah. laughs> it created three new problems and they created nine new problems and then it was 81 problems. And I mean, it, it, we've been running ever since, you know? Well, it's it, it, so to take this a little bit macro, because I know exactly what you're talking about having read your book, but like, you know, the, the agricultural revolution, one could argue, depending, I don't think you would argue, but uh, has yielded many benefits to society. Some would also argue uh, that it's created a great many problems. What's interesting is now, as you said, like we've we've got one massive freaking problem to solve, which is to me at least, which not to me, to everyone, which is climate. Right? We we're not we are going to exist to bring it back to South Africa in an era of apartheid that will be climate oriented. Right? The haves will have enough resources to probably go to wherever it is that's habitable. But the challenge is we've got you know, nine, soon 10 billion people on the planet that many of which are going to suffer profoundly because, because we live in a nation state oriented reality that, that doesn't acknowledge our inherent interdependence because life exists beyond boundaries. Pollution exists beyond boundaries, right? Like we, we, we've, we made a declaration of in, independence. I'd like to see a declaration of interdependence, right? Mm. Because ultimately that isn't to say you can't celebrate your pride and your culture, whether that's, you know, locally or regionally or nationally, but we need to stop thinking about like, yo, how do I just exploit enough to get mine? Like all of us are, are, I mean, are going to have, die- and we're already seeing that, right? One could argue, what we're seeing in Syria, like the refugee crisis that's happening everywhere, you know, like I'd do the same thing. If I, if I, if I were living in a place sure. I couldn't live and I had a family that needed me, I, I yeah. refuged anywhere I could, you know? Yeah. And so we, we now have to start thinking in a way I think that we haven't thought of before. And I think the great existential question, um, which, uh, w- which was interesting because it was, you know, to bring it back to the Stoics, uh, right before you, I interviewed Ryan Holiday, and he gave me this coin, which was memento mori, right? Mm-hmm. Which is that Stoic creed of like, you know, thinking about your death as an impetus for living, right? Like right. we're all gonna die, and I think I've been thinking about that on a personal level as an impetus for living, which is what led me to lead the podcast because I've been fucking sitting on my ass for too long and never mm-hmm. really sitting. And I was like, well, I'm not gonna die with my song still in me, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not the Rolling Stones, but. I've at least got a mic in my living room, and uh, we'll see where that takes me. It's taking me here, so I'm, yeah. I'm grateful for that. But but there's now an existential quandary, which is around our entire collective humanity. Like, right. will we actually make it? I mean, that's a real conversation we and need to make ask. Make it where? What would it mean to make it? Well, I mean, I think to me at least, that's a great question because where are we making it to? I mean, so, I mean, this is taking a whole different direction, but soon enough we could be. I mean, some argue we're already partially cyborgs just based on our interdependence with our phone, you know. And like you look or at all the titanium bo- hips or <laughs> our titanium hips, exactly, and our implanted contact lenses i mean we're pretty far down that road oh yeah and if you look at the boston robotics you know and i've now got military robots and you see those youtube videos of these robots doing like backflips and i mean the terminator at you know i'm, I'm not going to get doom and gloom but it, it it definitely we're definitely interesting entering into a very interesting era yeah uh of of humanity but i think you know it does lead to the question of like 
if we do make it, who of us makes it, and and in w- to what quality of life? Right, right. Will they still be human beings? Yeah. Are we human beings? <laughs> well, I'm we, we're not the same humans as we're not the same humans as those ancestors. I mean, I'll say, yeah. you know, I haven't, I, I have had the pr- profound, I think, what I would say, privilege to sit in some very rarefied, for lack of a better term, r- rooms with with indigenous peoples, and. Uh, even in spite of the, the grave, uh, you know, historical injustices, w- was trusted in, in some very interesting and very profound and beautiful rituals, and I experienced a version of humanity that I that I think we've we've lost total totally lost sight of and lost touch with. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I was I had the uh, pleasure of doing men's business with an Aboriginal elder in, in in next to Uluru, which is the most sacred site in in all of Australia, and some say the Aboriginals are the oldest you know, living people on the planet. And, you know, out of respect for that culture, I won't, you know, divulge too too much. But what I will say is, you know, it's interesting because I think we we use stories as a form of recollection. And my experience was they were, they they used, they had mapped out the entirety of that country using story, which is how they could go on walkabouts, right? Think about that. Like literally walking out into the middle of the desert with nothing, Literally nothing, and being able to survive for six months, a year. Yeah. And when he talked and he told stories, now you could call me woo woo, call me whatever you want. He wasn't speaking about something; he was speaking things into reality. I'd never experienced anything like that mm. in my life. Mm. Like things started to change, and and to me, it was like, wow, we have totally lost sight of the profound, profound wisdom of these indigenous peoples and indigenous cultures yeah. and, and, and the technology, which was our interdependence with nature and each other as and we each other earlier. Yeah. It's so, you know, we, one of the things I run up against all the time in, in interviews and trying to talk with people about civilized to death is, is that we judge cultures by the metrics that are familiar to us. Yeah. So someone will say, I wouldn't want to be a hunter-gatherer. Dude, I love my iPhone. You know, I, I love microwavable pizza. Are you kidding me? I couldn't live without that. And like, of course you couldn't because you're you. You were born here now. Yeah, yeah. But if you, you know, it's like, I wouldn't want to live in France. I can't speak French. Well, if you live there, you could. You know? <laughs> exactly. Um you know, or like, yeah, I don't know, these fucking Eskimos, man, they don't have anything. Uh, they don't have, you know, a computer. And the Eskimos are, or the Inuit are looking at us saying, where are all your sled dogs, loser? You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like you got to wrap your head around these things. But I remember seeing this, um, you know, and I think this way of thinking leads to this, uh, what I call the Neo-Hobbesian assumption that hunter-gatherers or, you know, indigenous people are impoverished and constantly struggling to survive. Um, because we look at them and say, they don't have a refrigerator, they must be starving, you know? Um, because we don't know what we don't know. We don't know mm-hmm. that they have highly tuned banks of knowledge that have been accumulated over many generations yep. and that are, you know, transmitted through stories, through rituals, through dance, through all these different memes and mediums, uh, or media. Um, I remember seeing this film, you know, Werner Herzog. I imagine you're probably oh, yeah. a Herzog fan. 
uh, Rescue Dawn, it was called, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Christian Bale, I think. Is if I recall, name? I believe I've seen it, but it was some years ago. Yeah, it was based on a documentary that he had made, Herzog made, had made decades earlier called Little Werner, Little Little Something Wants to Fly. It was about this German dude who always wanted to be a pilot, and he ended up uh, volunteering for the Americans and flying bombing missions in over Laos, and he was shot down. And um, taken to a prisoner of war camp uh, and escaped. And so it's this whole sort of escape, you know, and trying to survive in the jungle. And he and this other dude who escaped, you know, they couldn't, they were starving. And there's this scene where they find a snake by a riverbank and they beat the snake on a rock and then they eat it like raw. They just Mm. like bite into the snake. And Herzog being Herzog actually made them kill and, and bite into a snake <laughs> like while he was filming because that's sort of crazy shit he does and christian bale did it christian bale lost like 50 pounds or something to play yeah. the role is all crazy anyway then they get captured by the vc and the vc are running them to some other camp right and so there's this scene they're running through the jungle and the the Viet Cong stop and they like grab some some branches and they bend them into like something that looks sort of like a tennis racket and they um, put some um, like bark they make like a little net in the mm-hmm. racket and then they take some saps from a tree and they wipe it on this racket and then they're running through the jungle and as they're running these big insects fly and they just hold up the tennis racket and the insect hits it and sticks to it. Right, so you, you see them running, and this guy's starving, and the Viet Cong look pretty good, and they're just running, and then zik, and zik, zik, and then the next scene is they're sitting by the fire, roasting these big bugs, which are essentially shrimp. Yeah. They're flying prawns. Yeah, and these guys just know how to live there. Yeah, right. And here they're totally attuned. These other dudes have been starving, and they're like, "Oh Jesus!" They, yeah, like they're they're fucking floating, pr- flying prawns all over the place. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's this ridiculous notion that, like, you know, I remember there was this thing, and you're talking about Australia. The first British uh, explorers who got there wrote these letters back. I think I quoted it in Sexaton. They wrote letters back to England saying that the Aboriginal people were all starving. Um, and although they are strangely very lazy and uninterested in working, they just lie around in their hammocks all day. But we know they're starving to death because they eat insects and rodents right which in england only a starving person would eat rats and bugs but in australia the rats and the bugs were healthy mm. and and everywhere and why wouldn't you eat them they're it's a good source of protein easy to get like we can't wrap our heads around the fact that these people have another approach to life that works fucking great for them yeah you know Anyway, I don't know why I'm ranting. No, about no, that. no, and there it's true. Some it, connection somewhere. Well, no, I mean, and what's interesting is we're seeing a whole new generation and incidence of disease that is now being born out of this Western lifestyle and diet, right? right? Which exactly. didn't exist, which, which we exalt and say anyone who doesn't follow it must be crazy or or desperately poor. Is I mean, no, look, dude? you look at look at if you look at old photographs uh, or daguerreotypes of indigenous people around the world, right? Extraordinarily uh, healthy, you know. And I actually, oh, I think yeah. our mutual friend. Um, 
Aaron Alexander is writing a book called uh, about alignment. But basically, you know, it's like the the you can just tell there's an uh, exuding of health. Whereas, you know, once which is actually part of how uh, horrifically people, you know, were were put into reserva- reservations and created a, an economy of forced dependence, right. but given flour and alcohol, right? right? Which like genetically, uh, the, these people were not adapted to, and it, you know, epidemics of obesity, which we're now seeing actually there's on the, globally, right? We have sure. a, there are more obese people on the planet than non obese people for the first time right. in history. One in three children are malnourished. It's, it's how is that progress? And yet you can be malnourished and obese. Like it's well, that's it, it. it, it includes it's, the it's, obesity. It's, it's, it's yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So it what's what's I mean, it's it's become a huge. I mean, that's actually part of why I started Peak Mind with my dad was diagnosed with dementia, and I had been with Global Citizen focusing on diseases largely in the developing world like polio and malaria. But then I saw when I my dad was diagnosed, it was kind of like the canary in the coal mine for me because I was like di- dementia. I mean, my dad grew up drinking Diet Coke and, you know, like, you know, uh, ate, he ate the standard American diet, which is based on a food pyramid, which has totally been, you know, debunked now totally. uh, as healthy. Right. Yeah. So it's like, you know, so basically, you know, Midwest meat and potatoes, but not, you know, high quality like pasture. I mean, this was it was just like the conventional food standard American diet. And so having seen that in a profoundly devastating personal way and then realizing, oh, okay, hang on, they're calling dementia type 3 diabetes, type 2 diabetes, like ha- almost half the U.S. population is pre-diabetic. Almost half the Chinese population is pre-diabetic. It's like, whoa, you know, like, you know, and it goes back to this interdependence. As there are struggles in the environment outside of us, and this is what the indigenous knew. They knew that we were not separate from our environment, right. and therefore right. they lived in accordance and in harmony with it. Whereas, you know, now I'm, you see this huge red flag in climate, uh, which is we are still, whether we like it or not, and recognize it or not, interdependent uh, to our environment and in relationship to each other and the environment. And then what we're seeing, we're seeing the same red flags in terms of our our own individual human health. You know, and it's like the two are totally uh, related to each other. So reflections, yeah. Yeah, it's it's become an interest for me. It's like how do we bridge the the sort of inner world and awareness around the outer world, and and that's that's what I'm hoping to do in this you know in 2020 is do a large scale campaign around that. But basically, I feel like we'll either wake up or we won't. But my hope is uh, we can we can we can write the ship at least enough to where most people have a good quality of life. Mm. And I think to your point earlier around you know I don't think there's any going backwards, but I do think that. You know, and I, I'm not sure it'll happen at the scale at which it'll change, but I think there is a resurgence, and granted, largely in the bubbles that that that, that I that I live in, and I'm not naive to other places, but there is a resurgent interest among certain communities around indigenous the indigenous and around, for example, plant medicines and right. other things, and not to say that you know, and I think I'll just put a warning out there because I don't I don't think Joe Guy from Venice or Topanga who goes to Peru all of a sudden has the right to serve plant medicines. I think those are very much uh, the bastion of the indigenous cultures in which they yeah. existed for millennia. But the degree for for that to get people right in the head in terms of getting them back on the, for, for lack of a better term, back in that antenna, back on the right channel is profound and is now finally science is also kind of catching up to it. You know, I saw an article this week in The Independent talking about like actually rewiring brains for, for soldiers who have come back from from uh, from combat and like literally like in terms of neurogenesis, like 
both physiological benefit, but also I think just tuning people back into the right song because we've, let's, we've, let's, <laughs> let's stop the fucking combat. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Uh, like there's no need to, there's no need to uh, send, uh, send generations of people off to useless war yeah. to grease the pockets of a few people. Fuck, like let's, man. let's tune it back into uh, getting people. Um, I think using the, the, the beautiful and abundant, if we're actually like living a tune with nature, I mean, we have everything we need. That, 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 that's what the indigenous knew, right? Like, like, why are you selling land? Why are you trying to own land? Like, you, it, it, everything is abundant. It's around us if you don't fuck it up, you know? Right. Like, if you don't, like, pollute it and exploit it. I mean, well, soil. And if you, like, maintain stable population, yeah. why do we need 7 billion people, 8 billion people? Like, that's, who does that serve? None of us. Yeah. None of us. It serves the machine that we're we're cogs within right i mean that's the only thing that this this whole like notion of like more of a species means it's a it's a successful species no i don't think it necessarily is the truth it's just like just like on in relationships there's a i think uh uh a presumption that the longer relationship is a hell is a better relationship right right? whereas some of my best relationships have been just have been short-term but very deep yeah like four hours forget who i'm talking to yeah no but i but i think but i think i think i think what's also interesting yeah. there's a there's a guy named hans rosling i just want to touch on your previous point yeah rosling's amazing because he actually shows that if you do development right so it's not just like so if you do do development right population decreases so because some people would argue previously oh well why move people out of poverty we need that you know it's like no actually as you move people out of poverty you like childbirthing actually decreases i mean look at japan i think they're now negative in terms of population growth so so i do think you can both raise people up in their quality of life and still decrease the consequence of overpopulation i'd like to see i mean it's a pipe dream but i'd love to see global um mandatory or not mandatory (laughs) uh minimum basic income is that the phrase yeah 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 it's proving very successful where well, they everywhere it. they test it. It's, yeah. it's fucking great. It, people use it to start small businesses totally. to get more Pay education. Their bills. They don't just lie around jerking off, which is what the you know wealthy right wing bastards want you to believe. But that's not what happens. Um, but the uh, what I was going to say is like have that uh, w- global yeah. right uh, and tied to incentives to not have kids. So if you don't have any kids, uh, from 50 on, you get a bonus every month. Uh, if you have one kid, you get a smaller bonus. If you have two kids, a smaller bonus. If you have three kids, and you get no bonus. Hmm. Uh, that way, you disincentivize people to have kids in order to take care of them when they're old, which is why most people have lots of kids hmm. in the third world, right? Um, so-called third world. I don't know what the... Correct. Developing correct. world. I mean, yeah. But see, developing yeah. world assumes that, that they're undeveloped. Yeah, exactly. Which in some ways, they're way more developed. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, it's hard to find a there's not a. Like, I don't know what the politically or, correct or term would be. pre-industrial yeah, assumes exactly. they are going to be right. industrial and want to be, which many don't. Yeah, if you want a healthy microbiome, for example, which is your second brain, uh-huh. sub-Saharan Africa is the place to be. You know, I was going to say when you were talking about how the, the sort of, uh, just now, the, this how the external natural world and our interior health are interrelated. Yes. I was thinking of my buddy, Jeff Leach, who's one of the world's leading experts in microbiome. Oh, wow. And this is his point um, that he makes repeatedly is that 
literally as we decrease diversity in the natural world outside of us, we're decreasing it within us. Totally. To grave grave implications, right? The way I met him is so. I'll just tell this story yeah, very please. briefly because it's so funny. I'm in this little town in Texas, um, purely by chance. I'm sitting at a table with these people. I don't know any of them. Dozen people having beers, and somebody says, uh, "Oh fuck! Look how dirty this beer mug is. I'm gonna fucking get sick." And someone else says, ah, shut up. It's good for your microbiome. And I said, you guys know about microbiome? And they're like, yeah. I said, so I'm going to impress them with one of my erudite, you know, stories. And I said, oh, you know, a few years ago, this anthropologist was living with the Hadza people in Tanzania. And uh, he was studying microbiome. And hunter-gatherers have very diverse microbiomes. So he... Uh, took some shit from a Hadza and mixed it up in warm water and blasted it up his own ass to see if he could establish a hunter-gatherer's uh, very diverse microbiome wow. in his own gut, right? How'd it work? Well, I'm telling the story to this dude. I've told this story, you know, a dozen times, and everybody's like, whoa, what? That's, that's disgusting. <laughs> He's like, I've done that. Well. No, that's <laughs> no, he says, that's him. And he points down the table. No way. And there's a dude at the end of the table with a big smile on his face. Looking at me, and I said, "What do you mean? That's him?" He said, "Yeah, that's the guy. That's, he's the guy who did that." What? I said, well, you did that? He said, "Yeah, that, that was my article. I wrote that." I was like, "Are you fucking kidding? What are the odds?" I mean, you know, that's amazing. What are the fucking odds that I happen to tell that story to the, the guy table, who wrote the article? The guy sitting there at the other end of the table. I haven't even been introduced to him. I have no idea who these people are. Nothing. Epic. It's just totally random. Anyway, Jeff's amazing. He's a great guy, and he he really. Uh, like that's his big point that that's that's he hopes the hook to get people to care about the natural world because yes. it's in your gut it, as you said it's your second brain it's like so many disorders and diseases are tied to a lack of diversity center for immunity and yeah. also your serotonin which everyone should care about right because right. that's your feel-good uh chemical you know um it's 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 like the soil is outside which we're unfortunately killing with things like glyphosate um but you know i just watched an amazing film um about basically one of the perhaps the number one thing we can do to reverse climate change is actually is is actually in regenerative agriculture and the caliber and quality of our soil mm. because the soil is the microbiome right. of the earth right so just and, and that Which, grows the, way, the ties into meat and this whole question of like vegetarianism being better it's i, I don't know if, if this was covered in the movie but, you know, um, uh, Savory, Alan Savory. I don't know Alan Savory, no. It, it's all about how the the animals need to be on the land because they're part of the soil cycle. Well, there is an interesting article uh, that's fascinating called um, Pasture-Raised Low... I think it's like something like Pasture-Raised Low-Hold... Uh, I'm going to mess this up, but agriculture is actually the most vegan shit you can do. And of course, it's meant mm. to be, it was meant to be uh, kind of a, like, uh, you know, a, a title that w it was clickbaity, but, you know, the art, the, the essence of it, the argument is so nuanced because without question, and I'm working on a large scale campaign around the Amazon and what's killing the Amazon is large scale industrial cattle farming right. principally, uh, you know, soy and other mono uh, crops are, are, are hurting, but principally uh, you know burgers for burger king call it like that um is fucking up you know vast swaths of land that's part of the massive uh consequences as we, as we see climate change as we know it however 
when you look at like monocrops and monocultures, which if you fly over the United States of America, that's also killing tons of life, right? right? Like even growing the vegetables for a traditionally vegetarian right. diet, right? Because you're tilling the soil, you're putting on chemicals that are mm. not only messing up the mycelial networks, but also, uh, you know, killing many of the animals that would have thrived on a previously the biodiverse, the insects. Yeah. So it's not a black or white argument. And in many ways, traditional past pastoral agriculture yeah. was actually in many ways the best for the climate because cows that were free to roam along with other animals uh, would be would, would help keep the ecosystem as it was and and keep a very rich soil that was able to abate a great deal of carbon and a lot of those ecosystems i mean there's another fascinating film which people can watch called How Wolves Change Rivers. But oh, it just show, was, I fucking great. love that, that right? So it just goes to show how like yeah. the, I mean granted it's not a total totally related, but like how one animal, in that case granted an apex predator, but literally influences the entirety of the ecosystem yeah. such that it even influences the course of the way that the river flows. And so I think moving more, you mentioned permaculture earlier. I mean, we're, we're working at a much larger scale of humanity, but I think going back to more of that pastoral regenerative agriculture is going to be essential if we want to steer the ship right. Yeah. I, I, I was listening to a podcast recently about buffalo. I forget what it mm. was. But she made the point that, you know, in the 1880s or 60s, you know, before they started killing all the buffalo, there were more buffalo in North America than there are cattle right now. Wow. So it's not a question of like, oh, it couldn't support that many. It, the Great Plains were like deep, rich soil because those buffalo had been coming yep. through. They they tear it up, right? They aerate the soil. They yep. open it up to seeds and, and you know insects and all these yeah. worms and things to get in. They dump shit all over the place. They're spreading seeds through the shit. That, I mean... There's a reason things work the way they do in nature. You know, nature's been working this shit out for a long time. And we come yep. in and we're like, no, no, we're going to plant eucalyptus trees. And we're going to, you know, like, uh, we just make a mess. That's why I'm so skeptical of of progress. <laughs> I hear you. You know, it's like, it was great. It was great. And all this notion of progress and, you know, oh, you know, Steve Jobs may change the world. Well, I liked it better before, man. Well, I hear you, man. And I'm, I, I would say, I mean, look, for me, uh, nature is church like that that's uh, and yeah and and, frankly, and we're going in and saying we need some wallpaper in right here. right no we don't i'm i'm uh, so i share that that uh that bias towards you know and not to say it was all gravy but but a more traditional more balanced more honor more an environment and, and an ecosystem and an ethos that honored and celebrated nature and i think many of our problems have have sprung from the imbalance and the disassociation with nature, including yeah. I think a lot of the mistreatment of women. Because you know yeah, we used sure. to live in a in a world where you know nature was exalted as the divine feminine, and there was right. a great deal of you know. And then when the yeah, we won't go too deep down this, but like patriarchy came in and like you know systemization of repression of women, witch hunts, etc. A lot of that was was correlated, right? The 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 repression of women, the repression of nature. I would love to see a world where we get back to exalting the feminine. Where we get back to exalting the, the commensurate wise of the mature masculine, the individuated right. masculine right. to bring a full circle and nature. I, I hope that we can get that right. The challenge is, which we all know, we can't go back in time. And so whether we like it or not, we got, you know, eight plus billion, whatever it is now, currently knocking on nine, soon 10, they say. So how we 
restore the traditional healer I, I studied with, you know, he talked about health in, as, as balance, right? He basically called it balance. And I think nature is the great, uh, the great exemplar of balance. Yeah. Um, how we as humans who have really gotten on the teeter totter and like to, you know, screw with that balance, come back into balance. I'm not exactly sure, but, uh, but, you know, my, my vision, and I'm not, I'm not purporting to necessarily change the world is, you know, hopefully I'm going to launch a campaign called legacy where my hope is I can attach people's altruistic self-interest into preserving more of the natural environment, um, and sort of connecting that, that inner world with the outside world. So I'm going to launch that on earth day next year, which will be the 50th anniversary of earth day. And look, how's that going to work? Uh, so the vision with that trees early. Yeah, trees. So the vision is I've got, I found an organization where there's a, a fairly wealthy benefactor who's agreed to give up to $50 million matching grants. You and call I call them fairly wealthy, fa- fairly wealthy, That's funny. AKA you, you way, way more wealthy than I am. Let's you just put it like that. Yeah, no, he a very, very wealthy. So, so needless to say, I want to take a global citizen paradigm where I want to ask people to take actions, but I want to actually incentivize collective action so sort of to that tribal context we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier i think a lot of the dis-ease we're seeing the imbalance is a result of that feeling alone and not coming together so without going into great detail i'm going to incentivize people with really dynamic shared experiences largely around music so mm-hmm. a vision would be this is not by any means locked in i've not spoken to you two but like the joshua tree for example right they did a, a, an iconic album around joshua tree um, the Joshua Tree, as we know it, could no longer exist, and it will no longer exist because of climate change. How cool would it be if you too played a concert in Joshua Tree, but for like fifty people, you know? And and what if the only way to get there was you banded together the greatest number of people and took a variety of actions around both your individual betterment, but also around the planet. And so that's the vision I have for legacy, which I'm going to launch off the back end of peak mind. Um, but c- combining sort of in the first instance, I want to host the Lord's world's largest meditation. Cause I want to encourage people to think about their inner connection to that outside them. And what mm. better than way to do that than breath, right? right. Like, you know, the breath is our connection with that tree right outside. And, you know, I, it doesn't matter if you're a hardcore conservative or a bleeding heart liberal. I don't think anyone can argue with, like, the fact that keeping trees around is a good thing. So I was, I'm like, all right, I don't want to get uber political. Let's let's plan to protect, you know, 10 million plus trees. Ideally, we knock on 100 plus. 100 plus million would be amazing. Uh, and all the And all the animals that depend on them. And for me, that's like conservation. It's like, let's protect what's already there. I definitely would love, I I volunteered with an organization called the Greenbelt Movement, which basically remunerated women in Kenya for planting and growing trees, not just planting them, but actually seeing them come into fruition. And I saw firsthand what it looked like when women and their community 10 years later, like I saw a a little girl in a village that didn't have the Greenbelt Movement. This is, by the way, started by an African woman named Wangari Mathai, who's the first African woman to win the the Nobel Peace Prize. And she was like horribly threatened and like beat up. I mean, like just for what? Planting trees uh, and empowering women to do so. But but basically, um, to make a long story short, I saw a little girl literally digging in parched earth for like a spoonful of dirty water and a line of people behind her with jerry cans. And it was like, I mean, one of the more devastating things I've ever seen in my life. And then go a few miles away to a community where these women have been both provided with an economic means, but also planted over a million trees in their, that little village. And 
three girls were there. They had a well. They had cows. They had bees. If there was a blight in any one crop, they had a biodynamic permaculture ecosystem mm. of like a diverse portfolio. Of, right. And, and the, all the girls went to school. And so it's like there's so mm. much more that I think can flourish when we get it right. And so yeah. I'm not saying I know how to get it right, but I just have had the experience in launching Global Citizen and with Peak Mind now focused. I think we there has to be a conversation of how we also cultivate it internally yeah. that I decided, you know what, I'm going to launch a campaign. Uh, it's called Legacy. It's going to launch um, through peakmind.org uh, on Earth Day. And I'm going to take a humble stab at it. You know, I don't can't say it'll be you know, it'll change the world, but I, I know enough people to where it's like, let's create a really cool dynamic experience. Um, let's make it so people can have a good time and band together, do something good for themselves. So what do you and, call yourself? What, what are you? Are you an I, organizer? Mate, I don't, I have no idea. People fucking, it's my, one of my least favorite questions at a, a cocktail party. <laughs> exactly. Cause they're like, what, yeah. you know, like what they'll be like, do? so are you like a, and I'm like, like, uh, you know, I honestly, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't, fall into a category because you know i looked you up online uh, when we did your i had no idea who you were i just knew you're a cautious friend yeah. and you know we had our conversation and and i really enjoyed it and i wanted to know you better and so i invited you to do this and but i still didn't know who you were right I just was like that dude's smart i like him let's talk and then so i looked up online and i saw a couple articles about you yeah. some stuff about meditation yep uh, the thing about your dad's yeah. dementia and, and how that motivated you to, I don't remember what magazines or what they were, um, but I read five or six things and I came away thinking like, all right, this dude's super interesting. I still don't know what the fuck he does. <laughs> like, he seems I'm still to, figuring it out myself, mate. Like, so yeah. Like launch organizations and. The, yeah. I mean, if I were to pump it up, if I were to pump it up, you know, the vision I would have is I, I like to in some small way be a uh, a fertilizer for broader based movements and by that i don't so mean like, like it's bullshit me is what what's that <laughs> i like to be the shit i like to turn shit into this into the compost for better uh, things making soil uh, i like i'm a so, i'm a farmer baby yeah that's what i am yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a next generation farmer buffalo. but not in a not a not an agricultural revolution farmer right but a uh you know honestly man i i, I you know i'm, I'm kind of bullshitting here i don't i don't actually know you know i you know launch global citizen um that my title there was you know co-creator and movement uh director and then global creative director so i you know for me i think the best the more i get into my ego of trying to find myself the more trouble i get into so that the more humble and just i try to be a vessel and when good ideas come and you know some shitty ones come a lot of times real good ones come but i don't necessarily have the 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 fire in me to make those come Mm. come to life I, I try to assemble other amazing humans around them and say, hey, let's give it a go. And mm. so I think when I'm at my best, I'm a listener. I don't right. know if there's a job title for that, but I'm in the listening. And mostly that listening comes when I come to places like this and I sit in the woods for a while. And uh, and, and sometimes good ideas come. And and when I when I put those good ideas around good people, sometimes some some great platforms have started. But uh, but what that makes me in terms of job title, I don't know, and and I, I don't necessarily need one. So I, as long as I can keep connecting to good humans, I'm happy. Right. It reminds me of an article I read uh, years ago. You mentioned Malcolm Gladwell earlier. Yeah. It's, it was called like Fifty Degrees of Ethel Somebody, or I, I don't remember what her name was. Yeah. Um, but the article was about this woman in Chicago who nobody's ever heard of, mm. but without her, 
50 different innovations and companies and things never would have happened because mm. she had these dinner parties and she was just really good at yeah. anticipating, wait a minute, if this guy meets this woman, I'll bet she's going to invest in his idea and they're going to get along. And she just was a genius at doing this. And, uh, man, I'd like to go back and reread that article. I don't know uh, if, if you find right. it, send it to me because yeah, I, I, will. I, I, um, that's actually what I'm interested in writing this book about. I don't know, uh, is this notion of like, how do big ideas happen through relationship? Cause I right. think, you know, I, I, I share this with you the, the research I did when I, when my dad got diagnosed, I mean, a lot of it was around health and wellness and et cetera. But what was fascinating to me was the, uh, the research that came out of, uh, Waldinger out of Harvard and the longest, longest longitudinal study of its kind. And the greatest corollary to long-term health and happiness is actually the, the quality of your long-term relationships. Yeah. Well, which, I make a big deal of that. In exactly. I was going to say, which you're totally aligned yeah, with. Yeah. Forget about, I mean, don't forget about, but, you know, smoking, diet, exercise, uh, they're all important, but not as important as whether you have love flowing through your life. Yeah, exactly. And people that support you in having that flourish, right? There's a lot of fucking distractions out there and a lot of people that will, uh, for lack of a better term, sort of dilute your shine or like relish in, uh, you know, things that may not be the best in, 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 in your best interest, put it like that. And I, but I think people don't have a roadmap for that. You know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are still going kind of like we were talking about, like the industrial 20th century industrial capitalist model, I think is broken for 21st century living. I think the mechanism of relationship people, people are confused. Like, I yeah. think a lot of people think about it like, oh yeah, I'm networking, right? Like, like you're talking about earlier, like conferences. It's like, if I go to a conference, one, I don't know what to put on my name badge per your point just a second right, ago. Right. Like, and two, I don't like having a name badge because right. it's like, I don't want you to get to know me. And most people will be like, they'll, they'll, they'll accept or dismiss someone right away based on the transactional exchange they think you can extract from someone. Right. So they're seeing people in that extraction right. way. It's like so many of my great relationships, like this one, it's I didn't, sure. I, I hadn't, you know, when we met, I didn't, you know, and who knows what will come, but like, I've enjoyed both of our conversations tremendously. And I, you know, granted, I guess in that context, I knew you were an author but i didn't but i but i think there's something beautiful when you just go at something in terms of who someone's being i just liked your vibe right rather than like what they do and like how can that you know benefit from it and so one of the you know i've, been, I've had a couple book ideas but the one i've i've been thinking a lot about is this notion of like networking is dead how do you go about building life-changing relationships in the 21st century because mm. i think mm. people are yearning for that sense of tribe community and I've been fortunate enough. I think most of my, you know, whatever success I have had um, has been a result of just surrounding myself with wonderful people. Right. And I think, I think that's where there's a great yearning uh, as well as people just like, who is, how do you find your tribe? How do you find the people that are like, you know, your kind of people? I think you've, this is, this is one of the tenants platform, right? Like right. I imagine when you do a meetup and I, you know, cause I know you've got a, this podcast has grown far and wide and I'm sure whoever's listening, you've been a great, um, you know, not to blow smoke, but a great light in their life. Like if you're like, yo, I'm going to be in Colorado, wherever, like you're on in the van, those cats are going to show up, right? Because they know that whoever's going to show up, there's going to be their kind of people. That's why I do them. Exactly. It's, it's not to feed my ego. It's so you guys can meet each other. And that's it. And it's, I, I just did one, um, I don't know, two months ago, I was in Denver or maybe it was Boulder, but we did one and I was so fucking gratified because some of the people who showed up, 
uh, they had met each other at the last one. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we're still friends. We <laughs> yeah, hang. You know? Exactly. Like, Man, I love seeing that happen. Isn't it the it, best? Yeah. yeah. And, that, and I think that's it, mate. I think like as I've been distilling it down and it's not all codified in my mind, but you know, it's thinking about like how do you actually sor- serve as a source for community? Because if you add value to people's lives, that'll come back. Not in, not yeah. in a transactional sense. Right. It, just, it just will, karmically, whatever you want to call it. And like yeah. you, like having a platform like this, like this podcast, where you're where you're adding that value like i can say in my own context with with peak mind like the podcast has led to i mean i can't believe i was in my shit so long then i you know i started recording years ago Mm. didn't launch until february oh my like not to overstate it man but life has changed since i launched it i finally got over myself and put it out there it's like i never i wouldn't be here right now literally if i hadn't launched it oh this has enriched my life beyond i can't even describe it i can't even begin to I look at my life right now and I mean, I'd have to really sit down and think about it, but I'll bet 90% of the most important relationships outside of family, you know, uh, came through this. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's so beautiful too, because when people come into your life through this, um, because of the long form and Mm -hmm. the sincerity and the rawness of it. Yep. Like they already know me exactly. People who, don't, who who are bored with me or sick of me or don't like me or whatever, like I don't ever have to deal with that <laughs> exactly because they're not interested in meeting me. So the people who show up and and you know or send me emails or whatever, they're they're my kind of people exactly. Already, you're so my just, kind of party. That's it. It's the more the older I've gotten, the more I've realized how important that is. Yeah, like in dating too. Is there was a big moment in my life where I sort of stopped apologizing for who I am or 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 trying to shape it to the expectations yep. of this woman cuz she's hot and I want to you know yeah get get in good with her and um there was a moment where I I mean I was kind of depressed because I had just had a very, I'd gone through a very difficult breakup with a woman that I it was difficult cuz I never stopped loving her she yeah. never stopped loving me um but we just wanted different things out of life. She wanted to have kids. I didn't. Money was important to her. It wasn't to me. Uh, and, it, you know, we were six years in. Yeah. And it was like, okay. She's, you know, she was maybe 26 at that point. And I was thinking, you know, she would, she loves me enough that if she would stay with me and not have kids. Yep. But that wouldn't be fair. To that her. wouldn't be right. Yeah. Because that's what she wants. Yep. That's, you know. And so we need to end this. And neither one of us wants to, but we both know we need to. It was so fucking painful. Anyway, but at the you know back end of that, as I emerged from that, I just didn't give a shit anymore. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to lie to anyone. Not, not lie. I wasn't going to like shape my presentation of self in order to get the result I wanted, right? Oh, totally. In other words, I wasn't dating. I wasn't like, you know... Walking into it with my best foot forward. No, exactly. I was like, this is me, bitch. I, you know, take it or leave it. This is who I am. I'm creepy. I'm weird. I, and what happened was my success rate with women went through the fucking roof. Because you were just unequivocally, it sounds like, authentic with who you were. That's one. And I, I quickly realized that one of the most attractive things to women is authenticity yes and honesty yes even if what you're telling them they don't necessarily want to hear it's very comforting to know that you're telling them the truth yes they can count on you not to lie to them so when you say you're beautiful they know you mean it right 
It's not a come on, it's right? Not lip service, yeah, um, or whatever it is you say, you know. Um, the other, but the the point I was I was getting at is that it filters out people you aren't. It wasn't going to work with anyway. Totally, which is something I never understood as a young man. Like, like she's hot. I want to like talk to her. I want to like, dude. It does. There, are, the world's full of hot women. So the ones that it's not going to work with. Just filter them out as quickly as possible. Don't waste time with them. And don't force it. I mean, I think there is something to like showing up and um, being tenacious. So it's 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 hard to say like just be but I think what you're saying so resonates. It's interesting. We had that conversation and I was actually dating this woman, which on paper was like perfect. Oh, yeah, I remember we yeah. talked about I that. mean was she that on mic or off? <laughs> that, that was off mic. <laughs> off mic. That was off mic. And and to her credit, I mean like stunt like I mean, she was like model actress, five eleven, absolute stunning, oh, went right. to and Ivy she was Leagues. In town yeah, and she's the, and it was and yeah, like yeah. and we went out and we had a lovely time. Yeah. But what was interesting is I always found myself like just again being in the listening. I was always reaching out to her. Right. I don't. I don't. I don't know if she ever texted me just like out of nowhere, versus just like in response to my text. And for me, also like there was just like it was like eighty to ninety percent of what we needed, but we didn't have that like you know just like laughing. Call it spirituality. Yeah. Call it laughing. I don't know what you call it, but like that certain like X factor where it's just like it's casual easy. and easy, yeah. right? Yeah. And I was like. Wow, like this woman's amazing, no question about it. I mean, it, I would be, you know, she she's definitely like marriage material. But based on how things are co- coalescing, like whatever you want to call it, and it wasn't like we didn't have chemistry. We went out several times, but it wasn't the hell. Yes, you know, it wasn't like mm. the authentic. And how did I know that? Because people tell you. They don't tell you oftentimes with their words, but they tell you in how they show up. And it's so refreshing, I think, when people are authentic. And mm. actually, that's what I yearn for. I actually wrote a post on freaking social media that got that went crazy because it was just like I'm so. I mean, we may have shared this with you. I love living in Los Angeles for this, for having these kind of conversations. Drove up, freaking on a Thursday to Topanga, California, down the PCH. I'm in nature, talking to a fucking you know great human, intellectually curious, rich. The part that drives me fucking crazy is 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 dating and business. Yeah. In that everyone here is what I call a soft yes or a hard maybe. Right. <laughs> it's like it's like, and it's the antithesis of what you're talking about, which is you just know where some. And by the way, a no is great. Like a no is a, fine. A no frees your time up. I'm free. Yeah, I'm free. Right. Good. We're it, not going to waste any more time. Exactly. It's the you're like, right. yeah, let's get together on Friday. Okay, cool. Friday. But I'm going to check my astrological chart. I'm right. going to check the traffic. I'm going to see how I feel, and I'm going to see if I get a better option. Yeah. Then maybe or maybe not, I'll show up. Yeah. Right. Whereas yeah. like New York, which I don't have a desire to go back and live in. It's like if I if I see you 8 a.m. on Tuesday, I'll see you 8 a.m. on Tuesday. You know, like that's just how it's going to be. And and I think what you're saying to bring it back full circle is like I yearn for that in actually a dating relationship is someone who whether you like everything they say or not if they give it to you real talk like that right. authenticity man i think everyone's hungering for that well because our yeah it's sort of there's a corollary in social media somehow like how we it, the attention economy yeah, right yeah, attention yeah. is so precious now totally it's always been precious but it seems like there's less and less of it um if you're taking my attention you better need it. You better want it. Exactly. It, it better be valuable. Exactly. Otherwise, give it back to me. Yeah. You know, don't don't squander it. There's. So I heard someone say recently, uh, there are two answers in LA, and this is like in the sort of 
you know, entertainment world. Uh, yes, and here's a check. Only <laughs> 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 two answers. And I went through that, man. I pitched TV shows, and it was yes, 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 yes for a fucking year and a half. I yeah. heard yes. And nothing ever happened. And then here's the check. Yeah. You yeah. also did draw a cool distinction. This was, I think, off camera, but I think it's worth mentioning where you didn't, I, I don't necessarily mention there was a celebrity party that you were at and you were like, hang on, this is not my, this is not the LA I expected or that everyone talks about. Oh, yeah. And yeah. the distinction, again, this is my recollection. So I may, you know, obviously feel free to clarify or correct me, but, you know, the, the sense of like, there's also a distinction of when you're playing with people who have done what they set out to do in life and they're more in their, the rested aspect. So like when you're at a party with them, you're, you don't need, there's actually a deep level of authenticity because they don't necessarily need anything for you. And they've already like kind of played their game, you know? So it's like that what's cool is also, I think is you get more authentic those kinds of, at least in my experience, those kinds of people also start showing up with more regularity. Right. Yeah. Because they yearn for it too. Totally. I and mean, that's that's what everybody's yearning for. Yeah. All right. Listen, I got to let you go. Uh, I don't want to take up all your time, but I feel like, you know, I'd like to like have as many of these conversations Let's as you Let's do some want. more. Yeah, man. I want to talk to you about Sri Lanka. We didn't even get into that. Yeah. That uh, I want to know why you were there, what the fuck you were doing, because it obviously resonates throughout your life. And, yeah. Um, lots of other things. So I know you're a busy guy, but uh, no, brother, we'll do it anytime, anytime. man. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I'd love to, I want to, I still have to have a sex at dawn, uh, podcast with you at some point too. Oh, I know it's, I know that. it's your, I know it's your prehistory, but, uh, no, but I'm definitely happy. still relevant today. So I'm happy to talk about <laughs> cross pollinate. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, right. thanks for having me, brother. Yeah. What's your, you have a web central. Oh website yeah. So, or? uh, best way to find me is just at Michael trainer on social. Um, I'm actually going to launch a new site, but the best, uh, website for me is peak mind. P-E-A-K-M-I-N-D.org. Um, and the Peak Mind podcast is on iTunes and anywhere you find them. All right. Thanks, brother. Thank you, brother. All righty. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Just a end of podcast reminder. Please support the podcast if you are financially able and willing and interested. You can do that at my website, tangentiallyspeaking.com that chrisryan.com or chrisryanphd.com they all lead to the same place and you'll also find the store where you can buy stickers t-shirts beer cozies and other assorted swag and my mom will send it out to you in fact my mom will tell you what's in the garage right now ready to go here's mom okay mom uh, tell people what they can order from the garage Okay, in our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of T-shirts. Sex at Dawn, Civilized to Death, Vanthropology, Tangentially Speaking, Paleo Modern, and Talking Out of My Ass. (laughs) She didn't like saying that last one. Then we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies. Or koozies, or whatever they're called. Oh, civilized to death. Design. They're all civilized That's right. to death. We have stickers and car decals, right? Yes. Okay, there you have it. That's Julie, my mom. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just
just because I want to And what's the difference if you turn away I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say to the ground. 